You've been patiently waiting for while Jesus has been preaching his sermon for a few weeks, and this week he's about to wrap up his uh, good news of the kingdom and the instructions on how disciples are called to live in that kingdom. That's what he's been teaching us. And it made me, as I was going through my talk for this morning, it made me think about when our family got to go to Washington, D.C. last year. You can go visit the Capitol building, and they've got this really interesting entrance so that it doesn't block the, the view of the Capitol building where you go down in the ground in front of it and there's a big welcome center and you can get your appointments or what tickets kind of thing to go in and see everything. They've got a gift shop and that kind of stuff. But we didn't have to go through any of that because we went across the street to our uh, Kinziger as our representative in our zip code. And so we went over, we made an appointment with Kinziger's office and went into the congressional offices where they have their office space and met him there. And then one of his staff actually took us in a tunnel underneath the street into the, our own special entrance into the Capitol building. So we didn't have to go through all the, you know, the tourist stuff. We got to go right in and have our own special tour through the representative's office, which was kind of nice. So it's kind of... We were allowed into the congressional building to the, to the Capitol building because of our connection through Congress. We've got a representative who was able, because we have that connection, we got in to see that didn't have to go through all the other stuff that you know, the average person does when they take a tour. And I, made, you know, I was thinking in the same way, we get into God's kingdom because of our connection to the king. And that's the only way you get into God's kingdom. There is no other way. There's no tourist entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You get in through Jesus or you don't get in. And, and so I've kind of made that connection. And a lot of people don't think that way. When they think about heaven, most people, at least most people that I've talked to, it seems like they, they are their own way to heaven. Like somehow by their merits, they're going to get in to, through the pearly gates. And probably because so many people go through a school system where basically you just have to be average to pass. That's kind of our setup. You get a C, you're average, you graduate. And as long as you're average, then you get to, through the system. And I think that people figure that it the, works the same way as heaven. That as long as I'm not a serial killer or something like that, you know, I've, I haven't done anything really, really bad. I've tried to, you know, I'm sure I've lied and I've stolen and I've done things that I shouldn't have done. But, you know, I'm not as bad as some people sort of thing. And they, they think that God will look over my resume because we only put the good stuff in our resume. And of course he'll let me in. Because I'm a nice person, right? And that's the way most people think. It seems like when I talk to a lot of people, that's how they think. And we've spent a few weeks listening to Jesus tell us how we are supposed to live as his followers. This is the kind of life a disciple is supposed to have. But in just a minute, he's going to tell us why doing all these things is not how we get saved. And, And basically, as long as we know him, as long as we are connected to him, then we get to be part of his kingdom. It's, so it's not all this stuff he's been telling us to do. That's not how you get into heaven. It's how he's calling us to live. But there's a, it's, it's, basically when it comes to heaven, it's like most of the stuff. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And so then why does he give us all these instructions on how to live? Why does he take the time? I mean, obviously it's important because he's just spent a lot of time and energy at making sure that we know this is how disciples are called to live. So how do salvation by faith, by knowing Jesus and being obedient go together? Why do, and he's putting, them all, he's putting them together in the same sermon. So, I mean, obviously they're, they're, they're meaningful. Obviously they're important. Otherwise he wouldn't have wasted his time telling us about them. So, um, and, and if you think about it, you can't, you shouldn't separate them. Like the scribes and the Pharisees, remember, they, they were, their whole focus in life was doing all the right stuff. Was following the, the, you know, the laws and the traditions and things like that. Living the right life. But they were obviously missing something because when Jesus talked to them, He called them hypocrites. And He said they were doing it wrong. So, we don't want to be like that. Obviously, we don't want to be hypocrites. But at the same time, Scripture tells us again and again how important it is to live a righteous life, to be holy, to be holy means to be different, to be set apart, to be sacred. And so Jesus is calling us, you got to live a holy life. So 
So how does that... I mean, and Hebrews tells us, without holiness, no one will see God. So how does this work? If we get into heaven just by knowing Jesus, it's not what we do, then how does this being holy affect whether we get into heaven? or, or, or how, so, how, how does this one go about balancing the kind of life that Jesus is calling us to with keeping doing these things? He's, he's, he's telling us to, to live this way, living this way, and balance that with actually having a real and ongoing relationship with Jesus as our primary focus. How does that go together? Is, it, it's, is there a right way to go about it? A certain door that we have to go through? Or a certain foundation that we should build upon? And, and Of course, the correct Bible answer would be Jesus, who's the door, and Jesus is the foundation that we build on. But how can you be sure you really know Jesus? If that's the key to getting into heaven, how do you know that you know? I, I don't know about you, but I think the scariest words that anyone could ever hear Jesus, any hear, hear at all, is to hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's about the most frightening thing that I could imagine for anybody to hear. That they get up to those you know, so-called pearly gates and Jesus says, you can't come in. I don't know you. So Jesus is about to make it pretty clear that there are people who think they are ready to meet God, but who aren't. Regardless of what they think about themselves and their own lives, they don't know Jesus. And that's, that's not a fun thought. I don't like to think about it. For, I mean, definitely not for me, but for anybody. To think, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go meet God. And then to get up there and be told, I don't know you. And... And Jesus says there's people like that. This, and this part of Scripture can be extremely uncomfortable, especially to talk to someone who thinks they're ready, but they don't know Jesus. And you know it, and they don't know it. And you're trying to say, listen, you've got to be ready. You, you don't understand. You need to know Jesus. And, and it's not, you can't just be average and think that God's going to say, okay, come on in. You have to know the Lord. You have to believe in Him. And, and so talking to people can be uncomfortable, which is, or hearing this yourself, if you're wondering, do I really know Jesus or am I just going through the motions? I mean, I've been coming to church. I, I know people they, who went to church for decades. And it took them decades to realize, I don't really know Jesus. I mean, I was raised in the church. I've been going to church. I always you know, kind of do the things, but I don't have a relationship. And I've talked to people who came to that realization and said, I need to know Jesus. And so... It can be uncomfortable if you realize, wait a second, I don't know God. And so, and that's probably a good thing. It's good to be uncomfortable now. It's good to make people uncomfortable now when you can do something about it than when you're in eternity and you're stuck and there's not much you can do. And, and, and we should remember that even though there's, there's a crowd of people listening to Jesus, we call this the Sermon on the Mount, so then they think they've actually figured out the hillside that Jesus was on where he could it's kind of had the natural you know effect to let his voice go across the hillside so lots of people so there's a crowd of people but at the very beginning of when he starts preaching it says then the disciples came and he was teaching the disciples so even though there's lots of people listening his focus is on his followers he's not verbally dividing the crowd into the saved and the unsaved it's not like he's telling this you know saying you guys are all unsaved and you guys are saved what he's doing is telling his followers telling his disciples that all these instructions that he's been given him are meant to be lived out of love. And the danger that people, that, that people fall into is that they'll, they'll start doing all these behaviors that Jesus is talking about and living this lifestyle simply out of tradition or out of trying to buy their way into heaven that they think they're going to earn points with God by doing these behaviors and that that's how they're going to get into heaven. But Without knowing Jesus, he's, gonna, he's saying all our acts are worthless without Him. That there is soiled rags. And so it's, it's instead, when we, our choice to obey the Lord is supposed to be driven by our desire to know God more and more. That it's a relational thing and we want to bring Him glory because of who He is and what He's done for us and that, and that that's why we live the way we're supposed to live. Not to try to buy our way into heaven or just because we, we, if, we, if we check off this list of things we're supposed to do, that that's what's going to save us. And my, 
my two-year-old, yesterday, Jenna had, um, went out to pick up our, our dinner. It was National Pizza Day, and you could get a $5 cheese, large cheese pizza at Pizza Hut. So we celebrated National Pizza Day yesterday. And she went to pick it up, and Ronan was upset because Mommy was going away, and she took Emmeline, but she wasn't taking Ronan. And so he was angry, and he was crying and upset. And, and I don't know if you've ever told a crying child those of you who are parents, give me a hug. And when you do that, do you tell them give me a hug because you want to force their compliance? No, of course not. You want to help them. You want them to feel better. And so you say, come give me a hug. And you don't want them to come give you a hug out of compulsion. You don't want to say, I told you to give me a hug. You give me a hug or else you want them to know I care about you. You're, you're upset you're not happy, let me give you a hug and make you feel better. And you want them to come to you because of your relationship. You don't want them to come to you just because you ordered them. You want them to know, hey, I love you, and I want to show you that love and help you to feel better. And so I, I, you know, I opened my arms, and he stood there for a second and thought whether he wanted to keep crying or come over. And he, he came over, and we had a, a little hug, and he was miraculously cured and was happy to go off playing again, which is the great thing in the minds of two-year-olds, how that works. And, and God wants to do the same thing for us. The Sermon on the Mount is not a test of compliance. It's an invitation to our lives to be close to our Maker. He's opening His arms and saying, come live this life with me. Come into my kingdom and live the way I've called you to live so that you can experience life to the full and, and know my blessings and know how much I care about you and know what it's like to live as, as one of my children. And that's what God is doing. He's opening his arms and, 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 and giving it. Of course, he lets us choose. He doesn't say, do it or else I'll kill you. He, he gives us the freedom to choose whether our, to live our lives on our own or in relationship to him. And and we can we can choose. He lets us, you know, if we want to be remain alone and push him off, we we can be chained to our own worthless efforts, and and that won't get us anywhere. Or we can, you know, give up. A lot of people just give up on God altogether because, you know, Jesus gives us this way of life, and then we look at the world and think that looks so much more fun or enticing, and this looks like a lot of work, and we think, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go off and do the. So a lot of people they just give up. They don't even try. And, of course, only one choice can give us real freedom. I mean, people think that if they give up religion or don't even get involved in religion and they go off into the world, that they're free. Like, I'm free to, to do what I want and to feel good and, and have lots of fun and party and, and whatever. But if you're dead in your sins, you're not free of anything. You're a slave to sin and death and you can't escape that. And, but if you repent and put your trust in Christ, then He frees you from sin and death. So the only way to be free, really, is to be a part of this, to be connected with Jesus and to be a part of the kingdom. And John 8.36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So the world has this, I mean, Jesus has been given this upside-down picture of what living is supposed to be like, and it's totally opposite of the world. The world has its own idea, and it doesn't work. But that, that freedom that Christ gives comes with responsibility. And we talked about that. Like when you get your driver's license, now you're free to travel about wherever you want to go, but it comes with a lot of rules and restrictions because you don't want to kill yourself or anybody else when you get behind the wheel of a car. And if we accept that invitation to come into God's kingdom and, and live with Him, then we have to start living the life that Jesus is calling us to. And it, it's kind of like if you were invited by NASA, I always thought it'd be cool to go to space. I think it'd be fun to be an astronaut, even for a, you know, a weekend or whatever. But if NASA called you up and said, listen, we've got an, an open spot on our next rocket, how would you like to go visit the International Space Station? I would say yes in a heartbeat. I would love to fly in a rocket and experience gravity and go up and see all the stuff that they're doing. And that would be awesome. But if you said yes... They would say, all right, now this comes with a whole lot of rules. You will have to come in here and learn about how astronauts live and how to wear a spacesuit and how to you know, do, go through our emergency drills and 
and what not to touch and what you're okay to touch and how to open and close doors, right? Like there's a whole bunch of rules in space that we don't have on earth because if you decide, you know, I'm going to go up there, but I'm not going to follow the rules and you just think, well, I'm just going to live the way I've always lived. And you say, well, I'm going to open the door and take a walk outside. You're going to die because you're going to get sucked out in the vacuum of space and, and, and freeze and, and have all your air sucked out and you'll be dead within minutes. So the disciplines that Jesus is calling us to, this way of life, these rules or these standards that he's giving us, they're meant to protect our lives. Yeah, we're going to have a good experience. I mean, going up and, and visiting the space station, it'd be cool to me. Some of you might not think so, but I think that'd be a lot of fun. And I would be very willing to obey the rules of space that they tell me about. And in the same way, Jesus is calling us into his way of life and he's saying, this is how you live it. You have to live it this way because if you don't, you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt somebody else and you're going to destroy things. So I'm calling into this life so that you can enjoy this life and be blessed in it and, and you can know God's peace and, and His joy in your soul. And the world looks at these rules and decides God is just being a killjoy. He just wants to take all our fun. He's going to sap all the fun out of life. And, but the opposite is true. God is trying to make our lives better and to enrich our lives and to fill them up and give us the joy and the peace that, that you can't have apart from God. And He's trying to bless us and we're thinking, I like how C.S. Lewis, you know, he, uh, to paraphrase, he said, God is offering us a trip to the beach and we're sitting in our mud puddle and thinking, no, I don't want you to take away my fun in the mud puddle, but I want to take you to the beach. No, this mud puddle's fun and you're going to ruin all my fun. Because we don't understand how good it is to live with God and that's the way the world thinks. And so society, while God is trying to make our lives better, our culture is pushing harder and harder against what God is calling us to. They're pushing against the biblical values and the morality. And they just want to ditch the Bible and ignore Jesus and, and shove Him out of our culture and, and, and ignore Jesus' teaching. Or, and if you don't, if you stand up and say, no, I, I'm not going to give up on Jesus. I'm going to stand by the, the, the things that He's taught me and live this way, then they'll say you're, an out, you know, they'll say you're a prude or you're, you're, they'll treat you like an outcast. They'll call you names. They'll say you're, you're a homophobe. They'll, they'll ridicule you. Or they'll, you know, and if possible, they'll even punish you for sticking to your beliefs. Your intolerant, outdated beliefs. And, and it can be really hard to stand up to that kind of pressure. When, you, when your friends or your loved ones and even family in some cases are, are treating you like an enemy because you simply want to live the way Jesus is calling you to live. And the choice to live for the kingdom rather than for the world means that we, we endure. We're called to be humble and self-disciplined and forgiving when the world just wants to destroy us. And, and so getting saved, you know, if you think about you know, being saved by Jesus, that's the easy part. It can be extremely hard to make that decision because a lot of people think, I don't want to give up my fun. I don't want to give up this, the sin that I'm involved in because it, it feels good and and so it can be hard to make that decision to leave that all behind and follow Jesus. But if we're willing to put our trust in Him and, and say, okay, Jesus, I, I realize how this is not getting me anywhere and it's destroying my life and it's destroying my family, I'm going to follow You. When we do that, Jesus does all the hard work of salvation. As a matter of fact, He's already done all the hard work of, by giving His life as an atonement for sin and, and drawing us to Him and and setting us free. So all we have to do is receive the gift. If we're willing to follow Him, He gives it to us. He's already done the work. He said, it is finished on the cross. And He just, it's a gift. Here's salvation. Here's forgiveness. There's nothing you, you can't afford to buy it. So I'm just giving it to you. And, and it's, but that's the easy part. It's, and it's kind of like getting married. Nobody should enter into marriage without seriously thinking about it because maintaining a relationship takes a lot of work. And if you're not willing to invest the time and the energy to maintain that relationship, then you shouldn't get started. It's a serious responsibility to keep the promise of love to your spouse no matter what for the rest of your life. And sometimes it's really hard. But the wedding itself is easy. Getting up in front of a crowd and, and standing there and looking good in your dress or your, or your tux 
That's the easy part. And you don't even have to remember the words because the preacher will say, repeat after me. I mean, getting married is easy. Kind of like getting saved is easy. You don't even... And, but the living out the life in the kingdom takes work and sacrificial love and discipline. Just like living out of marriage takes work and sacrificial love and discipline. And Jesus tells us in advance, listen, it's not going to be easy. And this is Matthew 7, down at verse 13. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So the path to life is uphill. It's work. It's narrow. And you have to be focused and determined and willing to keep going. The path of least resistance where you know the crowd wants to go leads to death is what Jesus is saying. So lots of people, they take the easy way. And it doesn't get them anywhere. And if you want life, you've got to take that difficult path. And we all know, and that's true for just about anything that's good for you. Right? We all know that, that to be healthy means discipline. That only dead fish swim with, with the current. You know, live fish, they swim against the current. You see the salmon swimming up the river and to reproduce. And, and our culture is all about what's easy, what feels good. The, the, I think the newest thing in Illinois is looking to be the next state to legalize recreational marijuana, which is, you know, we won't get into the politics and, and all the harm that it's done in Colorado, but it's not recreation. I mean, they call it recreational drug use, but it's roller skating and swimming are recreation. Marijuana is just for getting stoned. And, and it's 100% passing this law about recreational drug use. It is 100% about what feels good. And that's all it is. People want to take drugs or drink alcohol or whatever it is to make them feel good. And, and even if you're not into that kind of stuff, it, our lives are filled with things to make us feel good television, YouTube, and Facebook, and all that kind of stuff. It's just so that we can veg out and not have to do anything and just feel good. And we do lots of things because we just want to, to you know, be entertained and, and not have to work and be distracted and, and all that stuff. You know, it's not necessarily evil to watch TV or go on Facebook or that kind of stuff, but it often distracts us from things we know we ought to be doing, right? And And then there's Comfort food. Oh, we eat because it makes us feel good. All the processed junk that we all know is junk that we eat because it's, it's full of fat and sugar and it tastes good. And we all know, everybody knows what we ought to be eating. That we really should be eating fruits and vegetables and whole grains and a little bit of meat. But that other stuff tastes so good and it's so much easier to pick up the phone and order a pizza or to go through a drive-thru than to cook a healthy meal for your family. Right? We all know that. I brought an example with me today. I have donut, which who doesn't love a good yeast donut with glazing on top? It's delicious, right? And we, I think almost everybody would say, I would love to eat that donut. I love donuts. And then I've got a carrot. And everybody knows that a carrot is much healthier for you. It's got vitamin A, it's good for your eyes, and that this is what we ought to eat. What would you choose? Would take the donut, right? Because it just tastes so good, it feels so good. But this is what we're supposed to be eating. This is what God told Adam and Eve. This is what I made you for. And, and we know the difference, but we all choose the donut because it feels good. I mean, does anybody doubt that we live in a feel-good culture? But that, and, that's what, and, and if you've ever done physical training, those, if you've ever you know, run for, for, to get faster or you've worked with weights or whatever because you want to be healthier, you want to be faster, you want to be stronger, you want to compete or whatever, you know how hard it can be to push yourself to get up and exercise to be healthy. And it's not fun because you know your muscles are going to be sore and you're going to be panting for oxygen and it's work. But when you choose to do it anyway, 
in spite of this comfort, and you say, I know it's gonna, not going to be fun doing it, but you keep doing it anyway, then you know the benefit of the improved speed and endurance and strength and, and, and better health and the better ability to breathe and do the things you want to do. I mean, it takes work and it takes discipline and it's hard to do, but if you commit and you keep doing and you work through it, then you get those benefits, those blessings that come out of the other end of hard work and discipline. And, and we all know that. And everybody knows that living healthy tends to result in less stress and, and more ability and, and less physical problems, but how many of us are really willing to put in the effort? Most Americans, eh, it's not worth it. I would rather eat the donut. I, I, and I don't want to have to do the exercise and the discipline and the hard work. And, and that's, our, that's our culture. I mean, it really is. And, and how much more important to life is our spiritual health? We all know physical health is important, but then in First Timothy, at, at verse four or chapter four, Paul says, "Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come." So we know, and every, and every doctor will tell you, you need to be physically healthy, and Paul says, and that's that's kind of important. I mean, it's good to be physically healthy, but Godliness, spiritual health is much more important. And how many of us are willing to put in the discipline and the effort to remain spiritually healthy? Are we willing to make the choice to give up all the bad morality and, and follow Jesus because to know the end is real life? Yes, it's work and it's discipline and it's sacrifice, but we know in the end what we're working for, that we want that blessing. We want that, that ongoing connection with Jesus. We want to live in his kingdom and have the, the abundant life. We, we, if you know joy, if you've done that, if you've made that connection and had the joy and the peace of knowing Jesus, you want that and you want to keep working for it because people who exercise on a regular basis, yeah, it's hard work, but I want to feel this way. And that's why I eat healthy and exercise. And people who know Jesus say, yeah, it's, it's hard to stand up against culture when they're just saying, go the easy way and, and why are you following Jesus and they're calling me names and, and, and persecution and all that stuff. But we want the benefit of knowing Jesus and being a part of his kingdom because it's, that's the only way to life. And so we're willing to put in the, to the, the work or some people are willing to put in the work. So, and, and so many people... Never do it because it seems too hard. It just it looks too difficult and and it's too restrictive and too demanding. But they forget that the discipline is meant to make us better and stronger. It's it's work to stay on the narrow way, but the result is that rich and full life that Jesus talks about. And and that's true about anything in life that's worth having. It, you know the really good things that re, that always require work and self discipline, like physical health. Think about your own relationships. The good ones take effort. I mean, not, not just marriages, but any good relationship. A good marriage takes a lot of work, and anybody who's married knows that, but it results in so much love and closeness, and it's worth the work. And raising good children takes a crazy amount of commitment and, and effort, and, but to watch those kids grow up well, it's so rewarding, and most parents would say it's so worth it to put in the time and the effort. And the, so the path of least resistance, the easy way, is to be self-centered. To not care about other people, to not care about relationships, to, but to take care of yourself alone. That's the easy way. And it's so easy to do whatever feels good in the moment, but usually what's easy is, is never what's most beneficial for us. To chase after what feels good tends to result in emptiness. And, an, and a desire for more and more and more and more to try to fill that hollow that never seems to get full. You can eat all the donuts in the world till you die, and it's not going to do you any good. It'll just make you fat. And you can take all the drugs in the world, and your body's going to get you know develop a tolerance, and you're going to need more and more drugs to try and get that that eye to keep the the feeling that people are chasing after. All the things that we do to try to get that feeling, it's never enough. But like. Like the drunk who gets sick every weekend and 
from drinking and then fights for the hangover on Monday morning, our culture tends to go for that anyway. They would much rather feel good now and keep paying the price than to make the choice to follow Jesus and to do the work now and to feel the blessings of that later. And, and we've even come up with a microwavable form of Christianity, it seems like, to try and make it easier to convince people that Jesus isn't so bad. He's not so hard. Our, our modern view of Christianity is not about the relationship. It's about how do I stay out of hell and get into heaven? Because I don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. So how do I get into heaven without having to change my life at all? Because I like my life and I like to keep living my life, but I still want to get into heaven. And so a lot of the churches are trying to sell this version of, we'll figure out a way that you can keep your life and still get to heaven. Can I just believe in Jesus without you know, all that denying myself and taking up the cross and following Him? Because that that's a lot of work. So is there a magic pill that I can take? Because and, and, and all the rest sounds like so much work. Can I be a disciple without discipline? Is the, and, and without having to talk to other people about Jesus? Because that's awkward too, and I don't have to do that. And, and I just don't like that. You know, but, but do you really think that Jesus suffered and died on the cross just so that we could have saved souls and wasted lives. No, that, that never was meant to be the point. And, and so that we could somehow believe in Him and not be with Him. He did everything He did so that we could be with Him. So that He could open a, ra- a way to the throne room and so we could have a relationship with our Creator. That was the whole point. Jesus came to give us real life, and real life comes through Him. He is the way and the truth and the life. And you can't, there's no other way to get it. So Jesus did everything that He did so that we might have life. John 10.9, He says, I am Jesus. says, I am the door. If anyone enters through Me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. He wants us to have life. And the only way to have life is through Jesus. And so he's exclusive. He says, this is it. I'm the only way. And, and so a lot of the world says, well, that's intolerant. But that intolerance, that exclusivity, is what opens the door to a rich and fulfilling life. And there's no other way. The world tries to convince us that we shouldn't be so narrow-minded. You're so bigoted to say that only Jesus can get us to heaven. We should be more accepting of all beliefs and all lifestyles. And we should celebrate everybody's choice to do whatever the heck they want to do. You've probably all seen the coexist bumper stickers on the back of a car, which have got little symbols from various religions that are all supposed to just agree and not care about what they actually believe in. And, and the world says it doesn't matter which way you go. That, that, and, and at the same time, they'll tell you Jesus is wrong. You know, all ways are fine except for Jesus. Except for Christianity because it's just so narrow. And, and the frightening thing is that the church is falling for it so much. And, and it's folding under the pressure of society to conform to the world rather than calling the world to conform to Christ. And now that we have, uh, you know, there are churches with homosexual pastors and transgender pastors and churches that affirm sin rather than denounce it because it's easier. It's so much easier just to get go along to get along. And so there are churches that are saying, let's just let's just go along because the fight is too hard and we don't want to stand up against the the culture and everybody pushing back at us. And we'd rather just it's much more fun just to be to be friends and and not care about all that stuff. And meanwhile, Jesus says, no, I am the door. And you can't, I mean, you can make your church whatever you want to church, but you can't get into the kingdom except through Me. And that's the only way. And nobody gets there without Me. And so, and there are so many people think that think they, they can somehow buy their way to God or, or by their own effort, you know, that, you know, if I do my good deeds or I go through the motions or whatever, and they don't even notice how, that, how low they set their own standards. And we often like to set our standards low and make our, ourselves feel good. And it's like people see heaven as one of those pay-what-you-want restaurants. And you've all heard about those in the news where somebody tries to open a restaurant and say, you know, just pay whatever you feel like. 
you know, like a socialism restaurant, which sounds like a good idea because, hey, who wouldn't love to get a $20 meal for five bucks? But it, they always go out of business because why would you pay $10 when you can get your food for free? And so they always go out of business because that kind of system doesn't work. And, it, and, it, and in the same way, we, we, they look at heaven the same way. We make up, a lot of people make up a false god who doesn't care about sin or justice and who will let them into heaven because they aren't as bad as, as a serial killer. And, and that's the, the, it's, it's, a, it's an idol that people make. And they totally miss the point of Jesus opening the way for us to have real life and a real relationship with God. He's not trying to make life unfun or to take away your, your joy. He wants to give you joy. But you have to do it the way He calls us to live in the kingdom. And, and so Jesus became the way and the truth and the life and said, come to Me because He wants a relationship. He wants to be connected. He's opening His arms and saying, come and join Me. Come be a part of My kingdom and let Me bless you. Let me teach you how to live so that you can experience the peace and the joy. And, and he loves us too much that he was willing to, to, to freely forgive our sins and freely forgive us and freely give us life, but he loves us too much to leave us in the, in the state that he found us. That he'll take us as sinners and say, come to me, sinners. And he says, now let's give you a real life. And, and that means... He doesn't want to leave us the way He found us. He wants to rescue us out of that because if He leaves us in that, He knows that's just death. And so He wants to teach us how to live in the kingdom, which means every Christian's life should have a workout montage. If you ever watched a movie with somebody who's got to get to you know, beat the other guy, Rocky is the classic example. Rocky has to figure out how he's going to beat the other guy and he's got the workout montage where he's punching and sit-ups and running. And every Christian's life should have a workout montage. Where Jesus comes in your life and says, okay, now I'm going to show you how to live. And we're going to do this together. And I'm going to be your coach. And I'm going to teach you how to live in my kingdom. And how to love your enemy. And how to bless those who curse you. And how to stand up and, and make good choices. And to, and to be moral. And I'm going to teach you. And we're going to work together. And we're going to have discipline. And I'm going to make you strong. And I'm going to teach you to be like one of my... I'm going to show you by example. And, and this is how you do it. And, and you should have that that workout, that spiritual workout in your life. And God continually, and, and it's not like He just says, okay, go do it. He's with us. He says, I'm with you every step. I'm your coach and I'll give you whatever you need to obey me. I'm going to make sure you have it. And I'm going to teach you. And He never leaves us alone because it's a relationship. It's like He wants us to be in connection and communion with Him. And the love goes both ways. We love Him and He loves us. And, it's a, and God wants us to succeed. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will live inside of you and be with you. And we aren't supposed to be, you know, when we come to church, we aren't just supposed to be a bunch of people that gather together because we have similar interests. We're supposed to be gathered, connected to our head, our spiritual head, which is Jesus, that we are his body. And we reach out that he teaches us and we reach out and do the things he's called us to do. He indwells us as the church. He lives inside of us so that we can be his body and do the things, do all this stuff that he's called us to do to live the disciple's life and to share this good news with the world and to be encouragers to one another and to help one another to live this life to our benefit so that we all become stronger and we can know what it's like to live with the fruit of that life with of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And I mean, it's e the easy and the broad path leads to to destruction. It leads to us giving up to dissipation. It's, it's easy to see. You know, you look at your life on a physical level, it's the same kind of thing. If you eat junk and never exercise, you're going to get weak. You're going to get fat. You're going to develop even worse problems down the road. And everybody knows that. And it's the same with our spiritual lives. If we ignore God's Word and we don't spend time with Him, we don't pray and we don't study the Bible and we, and we let, you know, push the Spirit out of our daily life and don't remain connected, you're going to lose the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The, you know, the, the love and the joy and the peace, that, that, that's going to go away. You push God out and that goes with it. That if you want that stuff, you've you got to stay connected. You've got to stay committed. The world, the world tells you, you know what? 
It really doesn't matter. All paths lead to God, which is actually true if you think about it. Everyone's going to meet God one day. But only one path leads to salvation. We're all going to meet Jesus eventually, but Jesus is the only way it, being connected, having a relationship, knowing Jesus is the only way to life. And all other paths that get to God lead to judgment and death. But if you say that somebody else is wrong in our culture, in our climate, and you say, no, you are wrong and what you believe is wrong and what you believe is going to lead you to death and, and judgment, then they say you're intolerant and you're judgmental. And so we have to make that decision. Are we willing to stand against the culture? Are you willing to tell people that Jesus is the only way and that no one comes to the Father but through Him? Because you care about them. Not because just because Jesus said, go do this and He wants you to check off a list, but because you actually care about other people's lives the same way that Jesus cared about you when you were still lost. And someone told you, if you're a Christian, someone told you about Jesus. So do you care, about, uh, care enough about somebody else to tell them about Jesus so that they can find salvation? Do you understand that if you don't say anything, that the easy path they're on is killing them? And that if we don't help them, direct them towards the, the hard path, that they're never going to find life. It's not fun to think about, but who else is going to help them? Who else knows them the way you know them? Jesus has sent us as His disciples, to tell people. As His body, go out and tell the world about Me. And the world is full of so many false teachers who will gladly lead those people astray. And, and Matthew 7, uh, down at verse 15, says, Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are voracious wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorns or figs from thistles, are they? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree is not able to bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will recognize them by their fruit. So the easy path leads to, to enslavement and, and sin and death. So Jesus comes to me and says, I'll, says, come to me and I'll set you free and I'll set you on the right path and it'll be hard, it's 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 work, it's narrow, it's not easy, but I'll get you there so that you can live abundantly, so that you can find real purpose in your life, so that you can share the good news of God's grace with other people. And, and many in the church look at that and they just say, it's, it's, they hear somebody else say, the false teachers, and, and the, they say, listen, you don't have to take that narrow way. Just follow this easy way and, and we'll let you, you know, you can keep your life and get into heaven and and, and they would rather be influenced by the culture than, than influence the culture for Jesus. And, and the false prophets can be so captivating because it's, we, all, we would all rather choose the donut. I mean, who wouldn't rather eat this? And so the false teacher says, listen, you don't have to change. God doesn't care about your sin. Just you know, do what I tell you. Give me some money and we'll get you into heaven. And... And they can say things that people want to hear and it sounds so good and so people say, man, I would much rather follow that, that easy path. And I mean, we would all, every one of us would love, I'm sure, to be able to take a pill and get six-pack abs. But it's impossible. You can't take a pill and it gives you, gets rid of all your fat and gives you lots of muscle. You can't take... You, the, you, it takes discipline. It takes eating healthy and working out. So if somebody says... Take this pill and it'll make all your dreams come true. It's enticing and we would love it to be true because wouldn't it be nice if, if we could take a pill and get whatever it is that we wanted, you know, rich you know, wealth and fame and, and power. But everyone who actually buys into that miracle ends up learning the hard way that it doesn't bear good fruit, that it doesn't work. And, and, and so we have to use discernment when we listen to what others say to make sure that they're not false prophets. We have to pay attention. We have to check our Bibles and make sure that what the preacher is telling us isn't his own story. That, he's, that, they're making, that they're teaching is true. And we're supposed to be wary of that. There are awful preachers out there who are 
you know, especially the, the big famous ones are, the, are almost the most bothering, but there are ones that are not so famous. But there are people collecting millions of dollars from, from weak, broken, desperate people, and then they turn around and they buy private jets and mansions and, and spend their money you know, touring the world in luxury hotels. And, and Jesus says, look at the fruit. Look at what their lives bear. You will know them by their fruit. And, and not just good deeds, but the spiritual fruit of, of a real relationship with Jesus. Because even good deeds can be done for the wrong motivation. Down at verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and do many powerful deeds? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you lawbreakers. And these are all amazing, powerful acts that he's talking about, that they're casting out demons and, and prophesying. And that's, I mean, those are good things, but they didn't know Jesus. And it all comes down to relationship. You can have your Bible memorized. You can give 90% of your income to the church and never cuss and never chew and never go with girls who do. But if you don't have a real relationship with the Savior, then all that other stuff doesn't mean diddly squat. And if you really want to know Jesus the way he's talking about knowing Jesus, then, I mean, if you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're not going to say, look at all the things I did for you, Jesus. Look how, you know, what a good boy am I. And you, you're not going to try listing off your accomplishments because you know when it comes down to it, you've got nothing to offer that God didn't give you first. I mean, even your very life itself, you can't do anything if it wasn't for the gifts that God gave you already. So to say, look what I did, God, is kind of like saying, you know, a little kid bringing you that, that scribble and saying, look what I picture, you know, what I made. And you, you try to, you know, that's nice. What is it? And that's, you know, you, you don't go to God trying to show off. And so Jesus doesn't want you to perform well in order to impress other people or to make you feel better about yourself or to try to show off. He wants with all these things that he's calling us to do, he wants you to do simply out of humility and gratefulness to give yourself to him. That I did this because I love God. I live this way because I care about Jesus. And he's he's saved my life. And so I want to I want to make him happy. I want to do what I can. I can never pay him back for all the goodness that he's done for me. But I want to do my best to try and make him happy. I want to live in that kingdom and have a relationship. So God, and, and God can use anybody. It, he, he even used the chief priests who wanted to kill Jesus. Remember when he was before the trial before Caiaphas? And Caiaphas says, it's better that one man die for the rest of our community. And, the, and John says that he actually said that to prophesy about what Jesus was doing. That yeah, it's that his death is going to result in a lot of saved lives, but that's not what Caiaphas was talking about. He was talking about killing him so that he wouldn't interrupt Caiaphas's job. And so if God can use somebody who, whether they believe in Jesus or not, if God can use even the Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar, that, uh, you know, all this stuff that they were taught that these people are talking about, Lord, Lord, look, we did. You know, prophecy is great, and and the Bible says, yeah, if you can prophesy, that's awesome. And all these other spiritual gifts that the Bible talks about, they're all great things. But what matters most to our eternity is whether or not we have the relationship, and that's what we ought to focus on. So if God can use even His enemies, like Caiaphas, to accomplish His purposes, how much more can He use those of us who are willingly willing to submit our lives to Him and say? God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to live for you. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it, because I care about you. How much more can God use us who choose to stay on the narrow path of obedience? Jesus is the only way. He's the only door. He's the only solid foundation for life. And the last, our our scripture for the day, the, the end of the sermon, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the flood came and the winds beat against the house, but it did not collapse because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them 
is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the flood came and the winds beat against that house and it collapsed and was utterly destroyed. God wants you to be able to stand. He wants you to have a firm foundation. He wants to give us abundant life and wisdom and strength for the storms because the storms come and the culture comes against us and Jesus wants you to have whatever you need to stand firm and be strong. But that means we need to trust Him enough to stay on the narrow path and to have the discipline to remain connected to pray and to read our Bibles and to, and to live the life that Jesus is calling us because that's what makes us stronger. That's what gives us the strength to, to build on that foundation of Jesus, to trust that every difficulty and trial that we face, God promises, I'm going to use it for your good because you love me and I love you. And whatever you face, I will use it for your benefit. And that's a promise. And he knows it takes spiritual discipline to build spiritual muscle. And that's what he's doing for us. So whatever path we choose, we are all going to meet Jesus one day. The question is, will he be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will he say, go away from me, I never knew you. I pray that you choose to let Jesus be your authority and trust in him enough to follow him on the narrow way. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you do care about us so much and that you want us to be like you, that you were an amazing example, Jesus, and we want to be like you. And we thank you that you want to transform us from, from weak and broken and dead to alive and strong and filled with your joy and your peace and your presence. So Jesus, please give us that direction. Guide us and help us to make the right choices and keep teaching us. And thank you so much for these wonderful lessons that you've given us in the Sermon on the Mount. And I pray that you would help us all to apply it to our lives and the way we live every day. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.